We're in the middle of a series of messages called Answering Our Culture, and uh, we've been talking about being prepared to have a conversation or to have conversations with people uh, about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And we've talked about truth. We've talked about the reliability of the Bible. And we took two weeks on that because that's a huge, huge issue uh, because it is the foundation of everything else that, that, uh, that, uh, uh, that we believe in. And today we're going to be dealing with another common objection to Christianity, and it's when people say something like, Jesus is not the only way to God, and they say it's, and it's offensive to make that claim. Um, so before we get into that, would you bow your head, and let's just ask for the Lord's help today. Heavenly Father, we've gathered in this place, and, and we need to hear from you. We, we, we need you to open our eyes so that we can see clearly. We need you to open our minds so that we can understand clearly. We need you to move in our spirit so that we can be changed by your presence. And God, we just ask that you would let the power of the Holy Spirit rest upon these words today. Make them come alive. And, then, and Lord, I pray that you would use them to build up our faith and to build up our confidence in you. And I believe you for all of this. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. One only has to look around in our country and in the media to see that it's not very popular to be a Bible-believing Christian today. Uh, there, there are a few reasons for this. First of all, it's, it's just not politically correct to put more value on your religious beliefs than on others and to claim that your beliefs are true and that other differing beliefs are false. And uh, it goes back to that claim that there is no absolute truth that we dealt with in week two of this. Second reason why is because there are people of faith that have committed crimes and, and done terrible things against those who have trusted them, coupled with the, you know, you add to that the obnoxious Christian. Anybody here ever known an obnoxious Christian? Uh, yes. Don't point fingers. I'm not asking for that. But, but uh, you know, the, the, the kind that, that uh, they only know how to yell and be rude to people with whom they disagree because they think that the louder they yell, the more truth they communicate. And the third reason is that there are hypocrites who claim to love God, and, and yet, even though they say they love God, they treat people who have been made in the image of God as if they don't matter. And so, no, it's not very popular in today's uh, uh, environment to be a Christian, not right now. So, so the question is, why be one? Why be part of a religious system that invites ridicule and hatred and scorn from a pluralistic society? And the reason is very simply because the Bible is true and Jesus is the Savior of the world. Without Jesus, there is no hope for heaven and, and no amount of political or social correctness can change that. And, and, and even with the presence of people like, like those that I just mentioned, the reality is, because people will, and we're going to deal with that on another week, people will stand behind the excuse and say, oh, there's hypocrites in the church, all this stuff, this sort of thing. But the reality is that, that there, are, there are many, many thousands upon thousands of, of more people who truly love the Lord Jesus Christ and, he, and seek to live for him every single day of their lives and they're benefiting the kingdom of God, and they're blessing society around them, and they're making a difference in the world. There are, there are hundreds of thousands, millions of, of people like that. However, most of the world today would not consider themselves to be Bible-believing Christians because they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came into the world to save the world. And in fact, many, many people in our culture would consider it, consider it arrogant and narrow-minded and bigoted for Christians to contend that the only path to God must go through Jesus of Nazareth. It, 
in a day of religious pluralism, and we talked about that in the week of absolute truth, in a time of religious pluralism where they say every religion's the same, every viewpoint is equal, and tolerance, using their definition of tolerance, uh, not the definition, the dictionary definition, but this exclusivity claim is politically incorrect. It's a verbal slap in the face of, of other belief systems. Um, it's like one liberal Jewish rabbi who said this, and I'm going to read his quote. He said, I'm absolutely against any religion that says one faith is superior to another. I do, don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. It's a way of saying that we are closer to God than you, and it's what leads to hatred. There's an Indian philosopher, uh, Swami Vivekananda, I think is that's the closest I can get to saying it correctly. He expressed a view that is perfectly acceptable in today's world. This is what he said. He said, we, speaking of Hindus, we accept all religions to be true. He went on to say that the real sin is to call someone else a sinner. Well, that kind of open-mindedness and, and liberality fits well in our current culture of relativism. Where, where no fact is considered universally true at all times and all places for all people and all cultures. But today I want to address the common belief that says that Jesus is not the only way to God and that it's offensive to say so. My prayer is that this will communicate to you in such a way that it will challenge your thinking on this vitally important subject, but also that it will gently encourage you to consider what the Bible has to say about Jesus Christ, especially those that may be watching on the live stream the, the basic question we're asking today and we're going to deal with today is this. Is Jesus the only path to God? Is Jesus the only path to God? There is a cultural debate raging concerning the exclusive claims of Jesus. The Bible very clearly claims that Jesus is the only path to God. There are those who would say that Jesus would never make a claim to be the only way to God because he was more loving than, than anybody else and he was more loving than that. He wouldn't just reject people because he is so filled with love. And they, they say that the man who taught the golden rule was incredibly tolerant and he would never, ever force himself on people that way. Well, in one sense, they, they are right. Jesus does not force himself on anyone. What he did is he laid out what is true and then he waits for us to act on it. So that part is true, but the Bible very clearly claims that Jesus and only Jesus is the only way to get to God. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says this, Jesus is the only one who can save people. His name is the only power in the world that has been given to save people. We must be saved through him. Pretty clear. John chapter 3 this is Jesus himself speaking. He said, the father loves the son and has given him power over everything. Those who believe in the son have eternal life, but those who do not obey the son will never have life. God's anger stays on them. And then in John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the father is through me. So it's very clear that Jesus himself made the claim that he said, I am the only way you can come to the Father. I'm the only way to get to God. I'm the only way to, to, to find yourself in heaven when this life is all over. What's interesting is, is, that, is that people will often quote Jesus when they say that Jesus said not to judge, 
and, and or they'll quote the golden rule and they'll quote pick those things out and say, but they choose to ignore some of the other sayings of Christ, like when he says that unless you're born again, you cannot enter heaven. But you can't pick and choose which verses in the Bible you want to live by. If Jesus said one thing and you say, well, we should listen to him because he said this, then when he says another thing, you have to be consistent and say, then we should listen to him here as well. But pluralism, this, this uh, idea that is rampant in today's culture, denies that any religion can make a claim to ex exclusive truth. The person who is a pluralist says that no claim to truth is any more valid than any other. They say that all religions are of equal value or at least contain elements of truth that are equal valid, equally valid. That's what the video that you saw just a moment ago, all of those people would qualify, qualify as pluralists because they're saying you, you can't just say that one is right and others are wrong. They're all right. They're all good. Pluralists feel that claiming that Jesus is the only path to God is arrogant. You even heard one of them, one of uh, uh, the girls uh, on the video say that. Uh, they, they say that that's arrogant and it leads to religious intolerance and hatred toward other religion, religions and viewpoint. And the highest ideal is tolerance, which to them means that all values, all beliefs, all lifestyles, and all claims to truth are absolutely equal. And exclusivist viewpoints, which is what we would fall under as biblical Christians, Exclu exclusivist viewpoints such as biblical Christianity are frowned upon. They are absolutely despised in a plural pluralistic society such as ours. And, to, and they say that to claim a particular religion or viewpoint as the only valid one is to spit in the face, face of countless others who would disagree, and they say that's wrong. After all, they say, can four billion people who disagree with you all be wrong? Well, the answer is yes. Yes, they can be because truth is not determined by opinion polls or majority rule. That's not how truth is determined. And I want to give to you a few problems of this whole viewpoint of pluralism. And then we're going to get into a couple of other things that, uh, uh, that are related to this whole subject. The first thing about it is that religious pluralism doesn't really exist at all. It is a complete myth. You know, it's very strange to me to condemn Christianity because of its exclusive claims to truth and then not react to other religions with the same same disdain. It's it's very odd in today's culture because you have people uh, who are who are very, very uh, uh, what they call themselves progressive in today's world who will who hate Christianity, but they will defend Islam. It's very strange that they get upset at one religion who claims to have an exclusive claim to truth but then they defend other, other ways of, of, of believing and seeing. The, it, it's important to understand the truth that Christianity is not the only religion that claims ex exclusivity. For example, Muslims radically claim exclusivity, not just theologically. They say that if anyone who's not a Muslim is, is an infidel, and they, uh, in fact, the Quran says they, they should be uh, killed is what it's the, what they, it says. But not just theologically, but also linguistically. Muslims believe that the sole sufficient and consummate miracle of Islam is the Quran. And they say, however, that it's only recognizable, it's only sacred when it's written in Arabic, and that any translation is not sacred. 
As for Buddhism, it, it was born when Gahat, excuse me, Gautama Buddha rejected two fu- fundamental assertions of Hinduism. So they were saying it was he was saying they're wrong on this, and I'm right on this. Hinduism is exclusive in that it refuses to compromise regarding the law of karma or the authority of the Hindu scriptures or reincarnation. Even even Baha'ism. Anybody here heard of Baha'i? I mean, it's not as big in this part of the country, but that's a religion. uh, It it claims to be a cosmic embrace of all religions and it ends up excluding the exclusivists. So every major religion claims to be the exclusive truth. The, The fact is, here's the thing. Truth is, by definition, exclusive. Truth is, by definition, exclusive. If truth does not exclude something else, then there is no assertion of a truth claim that is being made. It's only an opinion that's being stated. Anytime you make a truth claim, what you mean is that something contrary to it is false. For a real simple way to understand it is, if you look at if you have a light switch in a room and you turn it, you flip it up and it's the in the on position, you can say the lights are on. And what you're saying when you say the truth is the lights are on is that if the switch is down, that is false. You cannot say the light is on. It's one way or the other. Truth always excludes something else. If it is a true claim to truth, it will exclude something else, period. I don't care who you are. I don't care what the truth is. That's what happens uh, uh, when you speak about truth. Truth, Truth excludes its opposite. If you walk up to a stove and you touch it and it's very hot, you can say that it's cold all you want, but the truth that is hot has excluded the reality that it cannot be cold. You see what we're saying here? Those who deny that, that uh, there are people that deny that that's true, uh, but, but to deny the exclusive nature of truth is to make a truth claim. If I say you can't say that, that truth excludes then what you're doing is you're trying to exclude what I just said by making your own claim of truth. Do you see that? I know it's a little bit twisted there, but, but this is the boomerang, boomerang effect of this, of this viewpoint, that if I say truth excludes other things, truth excludes falsehood. If you say to me, no, truth does not exclude falsehood, what have you just done? You have just excluded my viewpoint. And you've made a claim to truth. You've done the very thing that you said cannot be done. The the clear implications of Jesus saying that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the life, are that first of all, that truth is absolute, that it is real, that is concrete, and second of all, that truth is knowable. Jesus' claim of exclusivity means categorically that anything that contradicts, contradicts what he says is by definition false. So if he says... I'm the only way to the Father. He is making a claim to truth. And he's saying that anything, any viewpoint, any religion, any statement that says there's another way to God, by his definition, is false. Second thing about the problem with religious pluralism is that it is just, and it's related to this, it's just as exclusive as a religion like Christianity. Christians claim that our way is true and that a religion that rejects what we believe is in error. The pluralist 
believes that his claim is true and that anyone who claims exclusive truth is wrong. So in essence, the pluralist is just another person with an exclusive viewpoint. Let me just boil it down like this. I say I'm right and you're wrong. And, and you say then that that makes me exclusivistic and narrow-minded. But you say you're right and I'm wrong. So using the same standard that makes you exclusivistic, that makes you exclusivistic and narrow-minded. In, in fact, this is an example of the very intolerance that many people say they despise about Christians. Uh, they say that Christianity is intolerant uh, and they say that it's, it's, it's oppressive and all of these things. But here's, I want you to think about this. The truth is, I know of no non-Christianized country, excuse me, excuse me, I know of no Christianized country where your life is in danger because you're from another faith. We, the United States is a Christianized country. We, have, we were born on Christian ideals. You can, you can say, I'm, an, I'm a Muslim in the United States and your life is not in danger. However, today... There are many countries in the world, like Iran, like Afghanistan, like North Korea, like Nigeria, like China, where to become a follower of Jesus is to put your life and your family at risk. Third problem with religious pluralism is that it's hypocritical. Christianity is an Eastern religion. I don't know if you've thought about this, but it just means that it was born in the Middle East. Uh, like, like Islam and Judaism, they came from that part of the country. Bl pluralism is the, is the, was given birth. It's a product of Western philosophy. So the pluralist is essentially saying that Western philosophy is more valid than my Eastern religion. And an intellectually honest person who claims to be, be a pluralist must admit that he or she cannot unilaterally condemn, condemn ex exclusive claims to truth because they themselves make the same claims to truth. Another argument that, that against Jesus uh, being the only way to God is, is when, when somebody says, well, you know, maybe how many of you have heard this one? I'm a good person, so I think I'll go to heaven. You ever heard somebody say something like that? Um, there's some that will argue with you and against the exclusivity of Jesus. And they might say, you know, you say you have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven, but there are moral living Muslims and Jews and Christians and Mormons and Hindus and even, even moral living atheists. Surely they'll be in heaven, you know, because they're good people. It all boils down to this question. Isn't how a person lives and treats his neighbor more important than what he believes theologically? That's the question people ask. This question makes the assumption that morality is what life is all about. Being a good person is what really matters. Uh, and how a person lives and how a person treats his neighbor, I want you to understand, is very important. But it's not more important than what he believes. You know why? Because how you live is a reflection of what you believe. How a person lives is, is reflective of what he believes. For example, a very simple way to understand this. In, in fact, I don't care what you say you believe. I will tell you what, what you believe if, if I can observe your life long enough. Because a person can come in in the middle of, 
August in, in Marion, Arkansas, and look at you, look you in the eye and say, man, I believe it's 30, 30 below zero outside. First of all, you're going to, you're going to be, you know, calling for the, the wagon and the guys with the white coats because it, it never gets that cold in Marion anyway. But, but second of all, all you have to do is look at that person and look at how they're living and look at their actions to know if they really believe that or not. Because if they're saying that and they've got a tank top on and shorts and, uh, and they're, and they're sweating and, you know, they, and they got a, and they got sunglasses on and they got a fan and they're fanning themselves. Guess what? They don't believe it's 30 below outside. Because if they believed it was 30 below outside, they'd have a parka on, they'd have ski suit on, they'd have, be, have 24 layers of clothing on because they're trying to survive the, the extreme cold outside. See, what they do, how they live, shows what they really believe. So if a person says, that's why you know, it's not enough just to say, I believe in Jesus. I've got to see that you really believe by the way you live, by your submitting to his lordship. But, but that's why it's important, it's, it's very vitally important to, to uh, uh, what we believe and to understand that. Because regardless of whether or not a person has signed a doctrinal statement to say, I believe in, you know, Jesus is the Son of God, what he really and truly believes is what will ultimately be lived out in their life. The, the truth is, however, what we have to understand, when you start looking at life in terms of moralistic views and say, well, I'm going to, you know, I just got to be a good person. I've had, heard people say, well, I hope that when it all ends, I, I have more good stacked up on the scale than the bad. And, you know, if the good outweighs the bad, see, so they're looking at life and saying it's all about morality. It's all about being a good person. But the problem with that is that Jesus did not come into this world to make bad people good. He came into this world to make dead people live. He came so that those who are dead to God can come alive to God. If this life were about morality, then how you live would be the most important thing, although it still would be connected to what you believe. But, but, but that misunderstands the Christian concept. And here's what the Bible teaches us about morality, and that is that no matter how well we live, no matter how good we are, no matter how nice we are, that we cannot we po cannot possibly ever live up to the standard and character of God. That's the problem. See, the word sin in the Bible, one of the words that's often used, it, the literal meaning behind it is missing the mark. And if that's what sin is, then that, what, what that teaches us is that the grace of God becomes the most important truth in our lives. Because the truth is we have all missed the mark. And once you fired the arrow, you can't unfire it. Isn't that right, Lee? You know, he's, he likes, he, he's a hunter. He loves to go bow fishing. Once you fire that arrow, there's no unfiring it. You already missed. You can't go back and say, I, I, I didn't miss. You missed. Once I tell a lie, I can't ever change the fact that I'm a liar. Which, let's take a little survey. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Everybody raise your hand or you're going to add another one to the list, right? The problem is, can't ever change the fact that I'm a liar. Which means that I can't ever measure up to the standard of God. His character is perfect. And I can't measure up to that. And so, so trying to look at life and say, I've just got to be good enough. The problem with that is you can 
never possibly be good enough because the only measure of good enough is to be as perfect as God is. It's a problem. That's the problem. Apart from Him, we're, we're, without, we're, we're without hope. Living kindly and, 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 and living morally uh, uh, good lives is important, but philosophers for, through, from Socrates and Plato and Aristotle all the way down through history, they were unable to even define what morality is because every culture tries to define it a different way. Ultimately, all they could give us was what morality did for society. Here's what happens when we try to define morality based merely on human philosophies and reasoning. This is what happens every single time. It becomes nothing more than a comparison game. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, so therefore I must be morally good. There's, there's a joke about two brothers who just lived horrible, scandalous lives, and one of them suddenly died, and the surviving brother went to the, a minister and asked if he would preach his brother's funeral. And he said, I just have one request, and that request is that you would refer to my brother as a saint. And the pastor looked at him and said, well, I'll, I'll do my best to accommodate you. The funeral came, and the minister was eulogizing the deceased, and and then he looked at the crowd that was gathering. He said, I want you to know this man was a swindler, a liar, a cheater, and a thief, he said. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> so, he got it in there. We, we try so desperately to claim goodness by comparing ourselves to others, to other human beings. But here's the problem with that. We tend to do the kind of comparisons by which we always emerge, emerge better than someone else. So we think we're good. In other words, when it comes time to do the comparison, you say, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, we never pick somebody that's better than us because we know we're going to come out on the wrong end of that. We always pick something. Let me ask, how many of you recognize the name David Berkowitz? Anybody here remember David Berkowitz? few of you. If you're young, you don't remember. But uh, you might know he was also known as the son of Sam or the 44 caliber killer. He was a serial killer who pleaded guilty to eight shootings that began in New York City in July of, of 1976. I want you to think about this. D David Berkowitz, he could say, wait a minute, I'm not Hitler. I didn't kill millions of people. I just killed a few. Or he could even say, hey, I mean, what I did was not good, but I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. I didn't eat my victims. Well, those statements are true, but that doesn't mean that David Berkowitz was a morally good person. See the problem with comparison? As I said, we tend to do the kind of comparisons by which we always emerge better than someone else. The problem with all of this is that we're comparing ourselves to the wrong thing because we have to compare ourselves to the standard that God sets. And, and the problem with all of this is that by the perfect moral standard of God, we all fail. We all fail. No matter how good we are in this life, we all 
fail. We all need God's forgiveness. We all need God's mercy. We all need God's grace. The question is not whether I'm a, a David Berkowitz or a Mahatma Gandhi or an Adolf Hitler or a Mother Teresa. The question is, have I come to the realization that I have fallen short of God's perfect standard and therefore, apart from the grace of God, I have no possibility whatsoever of being with him in heaven. You know, one of the most staggering truths of the scriptures and life-changing truths is to understand that we do not earn our way to heaven. We read in the Bible the story of the woman of ill repute who Jesus received, which by the way, that's just a nice way of saying she was a prostitute. And you remember how she came in and uh, Jesus was in the was in the, the, the Pharisee's house and she came in and she began to wash Jesus' feet with his tear with her tears. And the Pharisee looked at this and, and just looked down on her, during, looked down his, his merit-formed nose and sneered at the mercy of God. Here's the thing. He had lived a good moral life, yet he was farther from God than those weeping, repentant prostitutes. Yes, works have a place. But as a demonstration of having received God's forgiveness, not as a badge of merit for having earned it. You also may have heard someone say, this is sort of related to this. Well, Jesus is not the only way to, to God because God will let anybody into heaven if he's really sincere about what he believes. That's all that matters. It's just sincerity, is, sincerity is all that matters. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in that belief. Well, on the surface, that sounds so nice and sounds so good. But here's the problem with that. Where does that type of, of thinking lead? We often, when, we ha- when people make these statements, we have to follow the, where that statement, where that belief would lead to the extreme because you will see what happens. And, and we have seen it. We've already seen where that, that belief uh, leads us because we, we see it in the terrorist attacks in our country and around the world. The, back in, uh, on September 11th, those men who flew the planes into the World Trade Center, they were as sincere as any human being possibly could be. So sincere that they were willing to sacrifice their lives for their belief. But does that mean that they were going to heaven? No. There have been news reports from time to time of, of a, a, a mother or a father killing his or her own children. And they, they have said at times because God told them to do so. And they may sincerely believe that. But a sincere belief that God is calling someone to murder his or her whole family does not justify the act. A few moments ago, I just mentioned David Berkowitz, the serial killer who killed all those innocent people. Did you, you may or may not know, but later on he claimed that he, that he thought God was telling him to do it by speaking to him through a dog. He was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. He didn't make it true. A sincere belief in something does not make that belief true. I can get on, on Highway 55 North and I can sincerely believe that that's going to get me to Florida. But it's not the truth. I don't, you know, you can stay on Highway 55 North the rest of your days. You're not going to find Florida there. Sincere belief. A sincere belief in something does not make that belief true. A, a few years ago, there was a man 
who was a president, this is a true story, he was president of a group that believed that the world was flat and he was featured on a, a late night radio talk show and he was on the talk show because he had been quoted, this is back during the days when O.J. Simpson was on trial, uh, way back in the dark ages, but, uh, but he, he was quoted as saying that O.J. Simpson was, was not really on trial for murder. He said but he was on trial because he knew the truth about the flat earth and that the government was trying to, to put him away for it so that he wouldn't let the cat out of the bag. So here, here's what his reasoning. O.J. was in a movie, I've never seen it, but he was in a movie called Capricorn One. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that movie or not, but in this movie, O.J. played an astronaut who, along with two others, was about to blast off on a trip to Mars. But before the actual liftoff, the astronauts were all removed from the rocket because the scientists who built the rocket knew the rocket would never make it to Mars. And they were taken to a movie set where they simulated the Mars, Mars landing. Then the astronauts tried to escape after the world was told that, told that they were killed during the return flight. Only one, one astronaut survived to tell the truth and the bad guys were put away. That's the whole movie, so you don't have to watch it now. But the point of the man on the radio show was that the moon landing was just a Hollywood-type production to keep alive the myth that the Earth is round. He was convinced that the government wanted us to believe the Earth was round as opposed to flat so much that, that he was convinced that O.J. knew the truth and he would be convicted because the government would fix his trial to guarantee his silence. Well, that seems kind of crazy to us. But he was sincere. Doesn't mean it's true. Here's another example. There are people who sincerely believe and swear up and down that the Holocaust of the Jews during World War II didn't happen. In spite of the overwhelming evidence and in spite of the eyewitness testimony of those survivors, the, the, the point is that sincerity is not a good enough standard to, to determine the truthfulness of one's belief. It was sincere religious people who put Jesus to death on the cross. If you rely on sincerity for acceptance before God, then what you're really doing is you're setting aside God's grace because sincerity as a basis for acceptance by God is just another form of trying to earn your salvation because the Bible says it's, but the Bible says it's impossible to do that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So sincerity won't save you. Now, is, is sincerity something to be avoided? No, of course not. God wants a sincere faith, empty of hypocrisy. But sincerity, it is, it is necessary for salvation, but sincerity is not sufficient for salvation. You must be sincere in your faith in Jesus Christ, but that sincerity alone will never save you. So Jesus... His claim to, he claimed to be the only way to God. And that claim must be dealt with. You must either accept that claim, reject or reject that claim of Jesus Christ. You can't just say, well, I, I'm going to accept parts of what he said. Uh, uh, you can't say, well, he's a good teacher or, uh, 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 and then ignore the fact that he says, hey, I am God, and, I'm, I'm, and, and I've come to f in the flesh, and I'm the only way to the Father. 
It, it, was, it is not merely Christian ego that causes us to claim that Jesus is the only way to God. It's not because we feel that we're better or more important than any, anybody else. The reason it's there is because Jesus Himself made that claim. And to reject that claim is to call Him a liar or a lunatic. That's your only choices. Because He said it. And to claim to be the only way to God and, and then not to truly be that is either to lie where you know you're not the only way to God, but you tell a lie. Or if you're not the only way to God, that means you really believe you are and you're delusional. It's either that, it's one of those two, or you accept it and you say, well, he is who he said he is. And he's the only way to the Father. You may be sincere in your beliefs about what will get you into heaven, but sincerity does not determine the truthfulness of your beliefs. After all is said and done, every person on the planet that has ever lived must deal with the fact that Jesus said that no one comes to the Father except through Him. What are you going to do with that? Will you reject it because it's not comfortable or will you have the courage to wrestle with it and honestly consider the ramifications of accepting or rejecting it? Here's the truth. Jesus alone can deliver when He says, Come to Me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Anybody here could use some rest in your life? I'm talking about more than just taking a nap. I'm talking about rest in your spirit. Where all of the stress and all the worries of life and all of the pressures of life are weighing down on you and, and, and you just need something inside to give you some peace. Jesus said, come to me. I've got that for you. Come to me. I'll give you rest. If you'd like to take him up on that offer today, you can. All it takes is an honest admission that you are a sinner in the need of forgiveness and in need of a new life as a child of God. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Father, as we come into your presence now in the name of Jesus, we approach you not based on our own goodness, not based on our own sincerity, but based on the fact that we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and that He is the one and only one who has made a way to have access into Your presence. Lord, as we come into Your presence, I don't know where everybody is. I, I, most of the people I, in this room I know, God, and I feel confident that, that, uh, that they're in a good place with You, but God... I don't know everybody's heart, and I don't know the hearts of those who may be watching this online. But God, I just pray that in Jesus' name, you'd help us to realize and, and wrestle with the statement that you made. Because Jesus, you said, you're the only way. And Lord, if that's true, then we run a terrible, terrible risk of rejecting that. I pray, God, if there's anybody in this room or anybody on the live stream that, that, it, that is dealing with stress and the pressures of life and they're, and they're just worn out and they're exhausted and they're depressed and they're hurting and they just don't know what to do and they don't know where to turn, 
Jesus, just call their name right now and say, turn to me. Come to me. If you're, if you're weary, if you're burdened, come to me. And I'll give you rest. Lord, you're the only one that can deliver on that. And I pray, Lord, that you would just draw them to you right now. With heads bowed and eyes closed, there's nobody looking around. I, I, as I said, I, I don't know where everybody's heart is. And if you're watching the live stream, I, I don't know where your heart is. But if you're watching or you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I just want you to pray for me. Because I've been trying to do this life on my own and I'm just filled with a lot of confusion and turmoil and heartache. And, and I just need some rest. And I'm ready to turn to Jesus and let Him do it. I'm ready to let Him work in my life. And if that's you this morning, would you just, right now, I'm not going to embarrass you, but would you slip your hand up so I can pray for you? If there's anybody. If you're online, you can just type in there, pray for me in the comments section. We want to pray for you. Father, you see every person in this room. And you see every person who's watching at home. Lord, I pray you just draw us to you. Draw us to Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody watching on the live stream that, that needs you, I pray, God, that they would just simply come and make an honest admission that they're, that they're a sinner and they're needed, in need of forgiveness and that you're the only one that can do it. And Lord, I pray that you would give them that new life as a child of God as they surrender to Jesus and find the rest that you offer. Lord, I pray that every one of us would remember the, this, the truth of this message, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And God, I pray that that would weigh on our hearts to, to such a degree that we look around and realize there are so many people who are without Him. And that if, if they don't come to a place of understanding and acceptance that they're in huge trouble for eternity. They're, in, they're facing horrible circumstances, horrible results of that. And that God will take very seriously the call that you placed on our lives to share this gospel with the world around us. Jesus, we believe you're the only way. And I'm just asking God that you would use us to make that known. Not just with our words, but God, we know that our actions, the way we live, has got to back up what we say we believe. So God, help us with our words, with our actions, the way we live, the way we care for people, the way we serve people around us, the, the way we, we treat those that we come in contact with. Lord, I pray that all of those things would work together and that Jesus, you would reveal yourself through us. And God, you'd give us that incredible privilege of leading somebody to Jesus. Lord, if we don't get to lead them to Him, at least let us be the one that plants the seed. I pray, God, that You would use us. Do, your, do what You want to do in us. Do what You want to do through us. And we thank You for it all. In the strong, mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.